Welcome to Witch, the Women in Technology Creative Industries Hub, elevating the voices of women in tech. My name is Bishi, the founder of Witch. In this podcast, I'll be talking to a woman in tech about her work, journey, life, and process. In this week's episode, I'll be talking to light and multimedia artist Afra Shemza, who's also a co founder of the technology collective Art in Flux. Please do like, review and subscribe. We're a new podcast and every bit of support helps. Afra, how are you and how are you coping with lockdown? I mean, we're slightly lifting out of it, to be fair. Yeah, I'm really good. It's been such a strange time that we've been living through, um, but I'm really, really pleased. I've been, I feel so privileged. I've been isolating with my partner in my home studio in London. And so we've got our, all of our creative tools that we need available to make the most of our free time, which is great. Have you found it easier to make art in lockdown? I've had a lot more free time not having to run from event to event or from exhibition to exhibition. Um, So it's been an amazing time to be a bit more creative, yeah, and just kind of start experimenting and having the time and space to do that is amazing. That's fantastic. I understand you describe yourself as a multimedia artist exploring the impact and legacy of technology on our world. How did you first start exploring art with technology? When I was at university, within the first kind of couple of weeks of being there, I did Fine Art BA. Um, I immediately went over to the uh, 3D workshop and where they teach you how to work with wood, metal and plastic. And I thought, oh, I best make all all these technicians my friends so I can learn how to make sculptures and do all this new things that I hadn't learned before. And one of the technicians there, just by chance, was called Mark Lohman. And he became a really good friend of mine later on. And he was a kinetic sculptor. And so just by chance, there was somebody there that could teach me how to make electronic circuits and start working with motors. So I immediately began making kind of kinetic sculptures and making my own bespoke circuits and kind of using a lathe to make motor attachments and things like that. Um, So that was my first kind of foray into art and tech. That's fantastic. Um, And so what were you studying on your fine art BA? It was fine art, um, but it was mixed media. So we didn't have to specialise. We could literally do anything that we liked. So I, um, I was in every department. I had my finger in lots of pies. I was in the photography department. I was doing performance. I was um, making sculpture, making installations, um, all kinds of things. It was amazing. It was a great time to really just experiment and yeah, figure out what I wanted to do. And what were the first pieces of multimedia art that really inspired you? I mean, as a teenager, um, I discovered Bruce Neumann and Laurie Anderson and Christian Markley, and there was something about the interdisciplinary nature of sound and performance and tech and film, and it absolutely spoke to me. So do you remember anything like that um, in your teens? There was a really key moment, oh, a bit later than teens, um, but when I was at my foundation art course, so just before university, um, where there was a Christmas break and my parents, I was so lucky to have parents that love art and they always took me to exhibitions and events. 
Um, and the, in the Christmas break, they brought me up to London to Tate Modern to see an exhibition of the artist Sildo Mieles, who's a Brazilian installation artist. And it was the first time I'd ever seen artwork that used technology, that used kind of immersive installation, so colours, lights, different materials, things that you could pick up and hold and kind of things that you would be, be experiencing. Um, and it really blew my mind, basically. So prior to that, I'd been make, working a lot with 2D and making paintings, making collage. And sort of straight away after seeing that exhibition, I started making large scale immersive installations um, and got really inspired by other artists later on, like people from the Bauhaus, like Laszlo Maholi Nagy and making a light space modulator, you know, in the, so early in the 40s. And Alexander Calder with his kinetic sculptures as well were kind of the beginnings of getting all that ideas for me. Yeah, because that's what first struck me when I first came across your light installations is it was giving me like shades of, of um, not Oscar Schlemmer. Um, um, what's that other guy who did all of the colours? Um, um, okay. Joseph Albus, there's Kandinsky. Um, um, both of those people, but I'm really trying to think of the guy who did all of the animation. Oscar Fischinger, that's it. I knew, oh, yeah. I knew it was an Oscar, but, I, but, uh, but it just, yeah, it, it, it really strongly kind of gave me vibes from the Bauhaus and... You know, but it also reminded me of things like Tron, which I also love, you know, and just like early, like 70s sci-fi, which I'm so, so into. Um, so light is central to your practice. Um, could you tell us how, you how you've used light in the context of your sculpture work? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting actually about, I feel like my work is really deeply rooted in abstract art and the sort of historical context of that. And, um, but with light, I really started using it as a medium actually after I'd come out of university. And it's just such an incredible device to engage an audience with. And I felt like in this kind of new technological age that I wanted to create a visual language um, that was different from my historical counterparts and create a new language for a contemporary audience using the technology that we're so deeply immersed in. So um, light is central to your practice. Could you tell us how you use light in the context of your sculpture work? So light became really central to my practice after having worked um, after, after university. And I just love it as a medium. It really sort of reaches out and engages your viewer kind of automatically. And my work's kind of deeply rooted in uh, abstract art historical context. And whereas abstract art was meant to be a universal language for the masses, I wanted to create a kind of new visual language that was universal and kind of reached out to a contemporary audience that are really embedded in technology. Um, so I use um, LEDs and I embed that technology into my sculptures that are made from wood, metal and plastic. And I use these little computers inside there to take in readings from sensors like a microphone or a distance sensor. And then I use that data and output that to the LEDs that I'm using. So they might change color or light on and off depending on the readings that they're taking from the sensors. And so in this way, I can make interactive light sculptures that um, interact with the audience and also interact with the environments around people, which is really exciting and kind of brings the audience into the artwork. And what are these little computers called? Because you, um, prior to this interview, you were just telling me all about them. Um, and I think, I, I think I'd heard of them before, but I hadn't really realised what they actually were. 
Yeah, so I use um, the Arduino, which is an amazing piece of open open software. So it's a piece of hardware that's a little computer and there's lots of open source code and a whole network and forum of people sharing and learning together. And also something called a Raspberry Pi, which is more like a computer and that has a bit more processing software. Um, and so, yeah, I work, I do know some programming, but I do work with uh, coders if, if I'm doing something that's a bit more advanced. So I have a sort of a couple of people that I work with that do the main coding for the sculptures. Yeah. And I, I understand you use traditional sculpting techniques, but combine them with technology. How is this different from other artists? So a lot of my artist peers um, who would call themselves new media artists or multimedia artists, they often work um, with screen-based installations, working with computational art or with virtual materials, so things like VR. And I'm, um, I'm sort of a little bit set aside from that. So I work with real materials, working with wood, metal and plastic. Um, and the technology doesn't lead my work necessarily. I'm kind of a mix of both worlds. So I'm like the digital artist, but also more of a traditional sculptor. Um, and as I said, my work's re rooted in abstract art historical context. So my practice has a very um, like fine art journey, basically. Um, and the tech kind of comes secondary. It's kind of a, a, just an, a tool for me to use to kind of get my ideas across to the audience. Yeah, that's really fascinating because like because of the sci-fi nature of, of the sculptures that I've, I've seen you create, you sort of think that, you know, I, like I would have ordinarily thought that the technology is leading all of the design, but it's actually the other way around, which is, you know, which is really, really interesting. Um, could you tell us about a memorable commission? So my, I've actually got two if I'm going to talk about. Um, one, the first one is called Heartbeats of Cristal. And that was a piece that was commissioned in 2016 by um, the brand Champagne Louis Roderer. And we launched this piece um, in the Shard alongside them launching a vintage Cristal. So it was an amazing project because they gave me sort of the funds and the space to really run free with my ideas um, and be creative. So I created an Infinity um, interactive sculpture that emulated the brand in so much as um, I used kind of golden coloured lights to emulate that kind of champagne, that cristal, the richness of it. And I created a kind of interactive um, interactive circuit where the sculpture kind of came alive when there was more people around the piece um, and it was just amazing to kind of have the freedom to do that in working with a commission um, to really let your kind of creative juices go go wild and of course we, I got to sample the um, the um, Cristal and also you know the different wines with the master of wine and really get an understanding of all that so that was a whole new world for me. Oh my god amazing like did you not just get like pissed drunk when you were you know, I mean, <laughs> I would just get completely pissed with someone. Um. Oh. <laughs> it was it was lovely but it was all about tasting the wine so we had like a you know like a tasting dinner um and had different wines that were associated with the different courses <laughs> it was very it was very very reserved <laughs> oh my god I, that like that sounds like heaven but i'd still get really tipsy if that was me but um i also understand if you're in a professional setting you you have to keep you you have to keep it together right <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> 
Um, the, the second piece I just wanted to mention was another piece that I created um, in 2018, which was called Polychromy. And it was actually the first collaborative piece I made with my partner, um, Manuel Barrio, who's also an artist. So it kind of spontaneous, we just started living together and it spontaneously kind of came out of us being together in our new home studio. And we were using these recycled plumbing tubes to create this piece that was, um, it's geometric and it has a kind of uh, lighting kind of, uh, animation that goes across it and lots of different rainbow colours and um, it was commissioned by Collider Festival in 2018 and then after that it was shown at the Royal College of Art and then last year at the V&A so it's had a really lovely kind of exhibition history which has been really great. That's absolutely amazing, um, um, yeah, yeah, congratulations. Um, but, like can we find this work online anywhere? Is yes, it's on my all of my works, yeah, are online on my website, uh, which is www.afrashemza.com. And yeah, you'll find it there. And there's some really lovely video and some photographs that we've created for that. Yeah. Could you please tell us a bit about solutions for a sustainable art practice, which I understand combines wood and plastic, combining them with the latest technology? Uh, tell me a little bit about this. So, um, the Solutions for a Sustainable Art Practice project um, came out of the fact that I, I obviously love the work that I'm making, um, but I realised that I was working a lot with technology and I wasn't considering the materials that I used to make my work. So potentially I was contributing um, to this kind of global um, tech crisis waste issue, you know, that we have in our world. And I sort of thought, well, does this align with my values? Not really. So I wanted to find a way to, um, you know, readdress the materials that I use to make my work and look for sustainable alternatives. So I designed a bespoke artist development project that was funded by the Arts Council last year. And I was given basically three months to um, carry out this uh, these investigations. So I took my two core materials, wood and plastic, um, and I learned how to work with reclaimed timber and how to take rough sawn timber and um, plane and thickness it in a big work, 3D workshop um, and then embed my technology into that so I could um, source the wood from a local supplier and use that instead of kind of veneered MDFs and things like that that I'd previously been using. And I also, um, I learned how to recycle my own plastic waste and turn it into sheet material. So wow. I developed, I had lots of amazing um, inspiration from um, precious plastics who have some open source machines and knowledge um, there and also the kind of community around that and learn, yeah, how to do, how to do that. So I created artworks out of my own waste um, materials, but I was really, it, for me, it was really important that these, that the works didn't look like they were made from um, rubbish, basically, you know, that they still had this high end quality look to it. Um, the project ended in an exhibition and an event at Ugly Duck, which was called Radical Ecology, Sustainable Media Art. Um, well, we had a number of artists come together and exhibit their work and speak. And that was an amazing public platform. And I also launched a website um, called www.art-ology.co.uk. And this is where I basically shared all of my resources and all my links and all of the kind of videos that I created throughout the project as a way of helping other artists be more mindful of their work if they wanted to have a look at how what I'd done and they wanted links to sustainable suppliers and things like that. 
Um, so it was all about sharing and educating and kind of thinking more sustainably. That's absolutely fascinating. Tell me a little bit more about this plastic company. So um, Precious Plastics, I'm not entirely sure when they began, maybe sort of five, maybe, maybe sort of three or four years ago. They're a, a company from the Netherlands who have created um, four different types of plastic recycling machines um, that allow you basically to take um, your rubbish, plastic rubbish, um, grind it down, shred it down into little pieces, and then um, either heat it up and bake it and sort of squish it between weights to create sheet materials, or kind of heat it up and push it into injection molds and things like that to create kind of iPhone cases or spinning tops or, you know, I mean, the possibilities are endless with this. And the idea with the company was that they would create these machines and all the designs would be open source so they could encourage communities to create, to have a kind of income from these waste plastics that are basically, you know, some of them are not recyclable or, yeah. Um, So they were very inspiring to me and I just think uh, they've subsequently released um, even more amazing and elaborate ideas and designs and it's a great community to kind of be a part of. Well, I will definitely be Googling them. And can they just take over the world? Because like, we really need more, more of this kind of stuff. I, I, I think plastic waste is, is the most, one of the most like distressing factors of being alive. And that just, whatever machine they've made, there needs to be one on every street corner. I don't know how practical that is, but in theory, we should, or we should have one in, in, in every borough of, of this country and, and, just in, and just in every area, there needs to be that machine. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's um, about that you're talking about that though, because the plastic, the pressure plastics model has just been updated this year. And because this is all such new, this is new tech that we're really um, only just hearing about now and the precious plastics model is that you would be able to have that so you would have one one kind of center that takes people's waste and cleans it and then you would have another center that is shredding the plastic to create it turning it into these pellets that you can then use in the machine so then you would have another center that has the machines and so I was having to do all the three you know centers work on my own so that whole process is a lot um but ideally you know as these as this tech kind of evolves and grows you would have those different centers set up and there are countries in europe that are starting to have these kind of areas but the uk is um you know a little bit far behind that so it would be great to sort of get us moving with those with those ideas yeah that is absolutely amazing well listen i'm definitely going to google this company and 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 was it quite noxious? Like, you know, did you have to wear protective clothing and, 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 um, or, or like, you know, like what was that process? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have to wear like a suit or something or? So I was working, I was in a residency at Building Blocks, which is a maker space. So it's a kind of dirty, messy, dusty environment that has good extraction. So every day I was there with my, um, kind of, uh, boiler suit on kind of thing, you know, um, for all the dust and things. But I decided, so there are different types of plastic and each type of plastic has a different kind of melting temperature and different properties. 
Um, so I decided to work with HDPE and LDPE and that the HDPE are things like a bubble wrap and plastic bags and LDPE are things like milk bottles and food containers. And so these have quite a low melting temperature. So they become malleable before they start releasing noxious fumes into the atmosphere, basically. So it's all about kind of researching and understanding all these different things. Um, so I had, I did it in a very well extracted space and specifically chose those two different types of plastic to work with. So I was protecting myself, but I did wear a mask and I did have a big boiler boiler suit on as well to protect my clothes and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, great. I mean, I just, I just, I I just find that so, so fascinating. Um, But talking on the subject of sustainability, and I think this is more about social Um, sustainability. uh, um, What is Art in Flux uh, and what led you to set up Art in Flux? After I graduated university, um, sort of a few years after, I was thinking, oh, I'm really missing that, um, you know, that community of like-minded individuals where you can kind of uh, bounce ideas off one another, get feedback for your ideas and kind of collaborate and sort of create collaborative works. And um, I... And there didn't really seem to be a home for that, for those sorts of, for people, artists working with technology, basically, in London, Um, which is strange because there's many different hubs in different places in the world, but London just seemed to be a little bit lacking with that art and tech. Um, So we decided, I decided to sort of, uh, you know, create a new home. So I invited, came, um, got in touch with Maria Almina and Oliver Gingrich, and we all came together as artists working with technology. And we decided to create Art in Flux, which is a not-for-profit artist group for artists working with technology. And our aim is to kind of create a platform for artists to come together and share our ideas and network, um, and also kind of create a platform for artists, and the public, so showcasing artwork. So we we run these social events where artists kind of come together and um, profile their work and get feedback and kind of create a dialogue. And then we run curated talks and also exhibitions as well. So where we're showcasing interactive installations and um, VR works and kind of the latest tech, tech artworks. And we also thought it was really important that not not only just providing this bridge for artists and the public, but also to create a connection between artists working with technology and also big institutions. So we've been working with places like the National Gallery and the VNA as well in the last kind of 12 months. And that's been really important for us getting our names out there. Fantastic. Well, I've, I mean, I've, I've spoken at one of the events, but one of the most memorable um, exhibitions that you did was at a space called Ugly Duck in, in London Bridge where you sort of took over the entire space and there were so many different like sculptors and so many different immersive installations. And then Kimatica um, performed what was like an AV group ritual. So fantastic. And, and, and so there's nothing else really like it in London. Um, certainly, you know, certainly, you know, I've never in, in encountered anything like that in all my years of living and growing up here. And there was something about artists coming together in a, you know, like, like I understand that Ugly Duck is a space where they do theatre and dance or they, or they workshop performance there. So it, it, it had that old school warehouse feel um, with a kind of an old school London vibe. I mean, like, listen, like before, like East London became um, what I think is Covent Garden East, 
<laughs> it used to be full of these warehouse spaces and, 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 and full of things that were a bit more underground and artist led um, before it just became sort of like a hipster shopping arcade, which is fine. Like it is what it is. Um, but that's what I, you know, I mean, like, was that the last big exhibition that you guys did? Or I'm sure there have been things since then. It's just, it's just, I'm off the bloody radar. <laughs> that was actually the first exhibition we did. So yeah, so that was in 2018. That was the first one we did with um, at Ugly Duck with Dean Atger, who's an amazing curator. Um, and they've been really, really influential in my career as an artist, um, providing a platform and a space for me to create my independent workshops and also um, sort of facilitating and helping us to showcase our work with Art in Flux there. Um, we try to do sort of exhibitions annually, um, but we have done kind of smaller shows in bur different boroughs and things like that in between. But last year we did a big show, um, which was Art in Flux again, but it was um, as part of the Event 2, which was an exhibition um, held at the Royal College of Art in collaboration with the Computer Arts Society and the Lumen Prize. Um, and we showcase contemporary artists working with art and technology alongside historical artworks from the Computer Arts Society collection. And so this was amazing for us to really provide a historical grounding, you know, that we weren't an unhinged contemporary artist working with technology and that this had a historical grounding and a historical context. And that was an incredible show, really, for that. I mean, I love historical contexts, but I definitely love unhinged artists. I've, made, I've, I've had a complete lifetime out of making friends who are completely unhinged but anyway I think that's a completely separate conversation um so I understand you are the executor of the estate of Anwar Shemza um an artist writer and most importantly your grandfather um what was his work about and what, what is the aim of the educational program that you're building up around his work so my grandfather was called um, Anwar Jalal Shemza and he was a Pakistani abstract painter who came over to London in the 50s and studied at the Slade there. Um, I've had the amazing privilege to have grown up surrounded with his work um, all of my life. So his paintings were hanging in our family home. Um, and so obviously he's one of my most uh, important kind of artistic inspirations. Um, what really excited me about his work, that it was so different from any of the other artists I'd kind of been um, taught about at school. And the reason for this is because he fused um, Western abstraction with um, Eastern formal concepts and different languages so he would fuse abstraction with calligraphy um, Arabic calligraphy or he would fuse abstraction with architecture that he'd seen in Pakistan and he created these kind of these abstract paintings that were very bold bold compositions and really incredible use of color um, in the last 10 years there's been a huge rethinking of British art history and how migrant artists have played a part in the history the history of the art history of our of our country and so these artists are sort of being rethought about and giving the recognition that they really deserve um, so with my grandfather's work and being um, manager of the estate I've basically been um, championing his work and we in 2016 we had a room display at Tate Britain and we also published a monograph um, as well as now we're sending works all over the world to exhibitions and events and it's just an amazing time I think for these historical um, masters really to have this recognition. Um, 
so there was this so I've never really thought about um combining mine and my grandfather's work until sort of this year when on one of his paintings there's this um piece of Urdu writing which says um one circle one square one puzzle for which a lifetime is not enough to solve and I thought this is fascinating and I thought well wow that's interesting I work with abstraction as well and my grandfather died when he was 56 I never got to meet him so he died before I was born and I thought well maybe he hadn't finished that exploration and it wasn't finished in his lifetime and so maybe I could continue this exploration in my lifetime and I also thought it'd be interesting because I make participatory work and interactive um, sculpture. Well, wouldn't it be interesting if I continued it in my lifetime, but I also um, kind of created a series of workshops that would enable other people to understand and play with these kind of formal concepts. So um, we are currently designing a piece of digital drawing software um, that will be launched online with online workshops. And this will enable viewers to create their own digital compositions. And the digital compositions will be sent into a, a catalog, an online catalog, that later down the line, I'll create a generative light art installation that will combine everybody's drawings all together. And I think it's really important to highlight um, this rich, kind of cultural heritage that we in the UK have, um, especially in these difficult times that we've been having recently. Um, and I think it's really, it's just a really important time for this project. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, what I love is um, you've written a really beautiful essay about your grandfather on the Tate's website. Also, he was just so damn cool looking. Like, the, like there's that great picture of him in a suit surrounded by his paintings, just looking just looking cool you know <laughs> and it's so and it's so wonderful that he went to the Slade and I think you're right I, I think we're in a real moment of, of looking back at just other narratives and, and, and other stories and, and other narratives within the, the context of the history of art and it's really needed um, because it was just far too one-sided for too long um, so that's absolutely wonderful news. Um, are there any projects that you are working on that you'd like to share? So the main one I'm working on is obviously the one with my grandfather's work that I'm very excited about. But um, I do actually have a little piece of news that I'll be creating um, uh, immersive installation in my studio that will be streamed live um, in 360 video as part of the Ars Electronica Festival in September with um, Flux. So um, it, that's really exciting. I won't go into any more details than that. Um, but Ars Electronica is one of the biggest new media festivals in the world. And they have taken their program online due to the lockdown situation and so it's meant that a lot more people can be involved this year which is just an amazing opportunity so yeah watch this space for that I'm sure we could oh my god absolutely fantastic well you know I'm I you know like I, I, like I would be more than happy to sort of put out any any shout outs on on the Instagram and and, and the Twitter and you know get people to sort of watch you know you know to drive people to to, to watch what you're doing absolutely um but just um, we like prior to this interview, um, we were having a little bit of a catch up and we were, can you talk about Art in Flux becoming a CIC um, or is that something kind of separate? So I know from our conversations that you have um, social aims with Art in Flux. 
could you tell us a little bit more about what, what you'd like to explore um, between art technology and local communities? So Art in Flux has been a really kind of organic organisation that's grown up out of um, the three, us three artists and our kind of ideas and understanding of what we wanted to create, um, which has let, been able, it's made us able to kind of really steer the organisation in any direction we wanted without there being any kind of constraints on us, which has been fantastic. And we've been responding to things that happen in the world and also things that happen in our community and what people want. And Oliver is a part of um, a studio space which um, occupies space just near the Grenfell Tower. And one of our first forays with Flux into making collaborative and workshops with the local community was actually shortly after the Grenfell tragedy. Um, and we created a project which was with the artist, a collaboration with the artist Sara Chowdhury around Islamic digital art and we created workshops for families and local communities there where they would create um, Islamic drawings, um, geometric drawings and then we kind of scanned all these um, together and created a projection artwork with, with that. And we really feel strongly about not only kind of providing a platform for our artists um, to showcase their work to the public and also with institutions, but also to provide a platform for communities that don't necessarily have um, access to digital technologies, you know, and how can we as artists um, bring that kind of education and sort of tackle digital poverty so that the next generation of young artists um, find it easier to become, to be, to use tech basically and have the knowledge and skills and hardware that they need for that. That's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I mean, we were just, you know, like in our quick catch up before this interview, we were having a really big sort of chat around, you know, um, um, being more inclusive and the challenges of inclusivity and diversity and how it starts from local communities where you're born, how you're raised, how you're educated and how you build projects and, and, uh, and how you build not just creativity, but I think very sort of practical, um, sort of practical platforms to be able to educate, like inspire people to learn and to educate and to create together because that's ultimately what really forms you. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I mentioned, you know, I used to go to classical Indian music Saturday school and it was just in some auntie's house, in some auntie's front room, but that's where I learned the roots of Indian classical music and it wasn't in a really stuffy academy. It was in like a random auntie's house. And, <laughs> and, and in between classes, she would feed me Victoria sponge cake and I would watch the ITV chart show. So that idea of there being really formal like Indian classical music training, but also the world of like pop music and club music. It's like, of course, like that, that's what famed, famed the basis of the Victoria sponge of my life. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I just, I just think that that's really like, it's, it's so, it's so important. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to, to chat more and, you know, like even if it's just brainstorming or thinking of artists that I think might be relevant or might be good for helping what you do. Um, there's like, 
this is the beginning of this conversation, Afra. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time for doing this for doing this interview. I'm such a fan of your work. I think it's so beautiful and. I love what Arts in Flux are doing. Like, even if I haven't quite found the time to come to as many events as I've wanted to. Um, but last but not least, who is your favourite woman in tech? They can be dead or alive. Oh, so I've I've got two favourite people in tech. So um, it has to be really my closest collaborators, uh, Maria Almina and Oliver Gingrich from Art and Flux, because they are professionally and creatively my muses, my inspirations, you know. Um, and we just have such an amazing time over the last four years um, making our artworks make, and designing all these different events and exhibitions. Um, they are really important to me. Yeah. So adorable. That's so adorable and so wonderful. But in the show notes, I'll write down all of the links that you've mentioned and I'll write down links to Art in Flux and to Maria and to Oliver. Um, so thank you so much, Afra. Thank you. Thank you. It's been amazing to be here and really, really, really happy to have been taking part in your podcast, which is fantastic. So yeah. Ah, well, this is just the start of a whole bunch of, of conversations, I think. So, yes. So, end of the podcast interview. <laughs> Thanks, Afra, for being our guest this week. And thank you all for tuning in and subscribing. Thanks to The Rattle for all of their technical support on this podcast. You can find out more about which instagram facebook and twitter.com forward slash witch you can go to witch.com to find out news and updates and to sign up to our monthly newsletter until next time thanks and goodbye